Well, um, in light of the election, I just wanted to say a couple of words. Uh, probably in no in the ten years that I've been a pastor, I've never felt the weight um, the way that I do this morning. I know that uh, we're divided as a nation. We're divided in some ways as a church. Uh, there are people who feel betrayed. Um, there are policies on both sides that are unbiblical. Hold on. I don't, I don't need any response. I just need you to listen. And yet there's, uh, we're family. And Christ is our Savior. And there, there are things that we're going to have to do. Uh, platforms don't, don't solve problems. People do. And we have to stand together and we have to figure out how to work this out. Um, I was not happy with either candidate. They don't reflect my values. Um, but the church is the hope of the world. And I believe that. And so, which either side of the aisle you are on, um, we need to make sure we are, are walking this life out with humility with each other. Conversation has to begin. Um, I pray that today's message, um, it, it began before the election, so do not think this is a reaction to an election. But I, I really, I've been seeing this for a long time. We are on the border. The, the country is boiling. It has been for a long time. And there are prophetic words out there that say we're going to have race wars. We're going to have all kinds of things. They're destined to happen. Prophetic people have, have been saying this for years. But the church is the answer. Political parties are not. And so as we move forward as a church, as a family, we need to figure out how we do this together. And uh, I pray that, that no one here feels isolated. I pray that no one here feels uh, betrayed or no one here feels that they can't discuss or talk uh, about these things. This is real life. And so um, I, I feel totally inadequate in doing this. But I pray that uh, by God's grace, we can move forward. Uh, we will continue in, uh, in how we think. This will be the third message in this direction. And uh, Romans 12.2 declares, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Uh, again, that verse was used by Pastor Bobby last week. We'll continue that. Proverbs 23, 7, same thing, says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And then we're going to get to our main text today. Exodus 14, 10 through 14. And it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? 
Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Father, with great need, we come to you today. And I pray, God, that with all the things that are being said and all the things that are being done and all the responses that are happening, that we fix our eyes on you. And that, God, you would speak to hearts, that you would heal hearts, and that you would calm people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, um, I'm hoping this message is like an x-ray. I'm hoping that if anybody has ever been to the doctor and you have broken a bone or you have gone to get a scan and they hold that x-ray up to the light or they put it in something that is able to see what is taking place in your body, I am praying that this morning that this message is an x-ray for your heart. That we will be honest and take a look at what's happening on the interior because that is more important long-term than what is happening outside of us. So there are two ways I want you to approach this message. Two basic um, emphasis, if you will, in this message. Number one, we have to look at everything that happens in this life through the Bible. It's absolutely essential. Many people don't. Um, but it, as Christians, we are called to look at everything in life through the Bible. And number two, there will be times that God will bring you to places in your life where there is no other option except him. That God brings you to the end of yourself. That God brings you to the end of your trying. That God brings you to the end of your need of man so that you will discover who he is for you. And it is not judgment per se. It is actually freedom that he wants. And we'll show you that. So there's always a, a battle over your identity and how you view God and the world around you. It will affect how you interpret the world and what is taking place around you. If you do not know who you are, it will affect how you see the world, how you live, how you treat people, how you pray, and how you're able to receive from God. If you think God is angry at you, you will not approach him. If you don't know that you are a cherished son or daughter of God, you won't be able to receive from God. And so who you think you are and who God is to you is the most important things in your life. They are. Now, as I was a couple of weeks ago, I began processing with God what I felt like the direction of this message should be. And the Holy Spirit just prompted these thoughts to, to me and I wanted to share, with, uh, share these with you today. No ownership will result in poor stewardship. No ownership will result in poor stewardship. Now, my, my grandfather, when he died, left their home to my mom. It's not worth much, but for some reason, my mom wants to, I don't know if it's just, you know, to keep his memory alive, but they rent out this house for like $500. $500. It is not worth much. Um, and so uh, they rent it out $500. People don't take care of it when they rent it. It's not much, right? The, the, down, the, the deposit they leave is like $500. And routinely, the way people treat that house 
is not very good because there's not much cost to it. It's not theirs and they treat it like a rental. But I see a lot of Christians that you treat your life and your thinking in the same manner. And yet this is your life and you do have ownership of your life. There may be some things that are outside of your control, but what you can control is your thinking. And that is what this message is about, is how are you going to choose how to process everything in your life? Are you going to do it through the Bible and what God says or through your past or your pain or your frustrations or anything else? And because I have a whole history of doing it wrong, I'm going to share it with you today. So Luke 16, 12 says this, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your, of your own. And so there's just a principle that you are responsible and how you are responsible opens the door for more that God can give you. So everything about your life begins in your thinking. You're responsible for your thoughts because thoughts lead to actions and actions lead to repercussions. So whether that's good or bad, it leads to fruit. You are what you think. Whoever or whatever owns your perspective will own your future. If we are told that we are seated with God in heavenly places, then our thoughts have to begin there. Where God is, what he thinks, who he says you are. When he says that he is with you, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That is the foundation of part of your life. Not that you feel abandoned. Not that you feel like God's not near. And so your thought process has to begin in scripture and what God says. And so more importantly than who is leading our government, at least for me, because I don't have faith in any man, if I'm being very honest, our woman, our alien, or I don't care who it is, who is leading. If I'm being very honest, my goal this morning is who is leading the government of your heart, because that is the most important thing as a Christian. First Peter one thirteen. I remember the first time that, that God revealed this uh, to me. It was about 17 to 18 years ago. I was sitting in our apartment on our ugly blue couch on the left-hand side. And I remember when God opened this verse to me. And it was really impactful and powerful. And yet it took me years to begin to understand its implications. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I don't know if that's what struck me funny because that's a weird half sentence. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's weird. And so I wanted to know what that meant. And so I looked in the footnotes and in the footnotes it said it is an oriental expression Back then, they used to wear robes, and it meant picking up your robes and being ready to run with what you have been told. So it is an action statement, okay? But I felt it was incomplete. So I began to do a little research. I got out my Hebrew-Greek lexicon back when it was actually a book and you couldn't look online, which tells you something. And so I went through and I looked up loins. I looked up gird, I looked up loins, I looked up mine, but the one that stood out to me was loins. And when I changed the format with its new uh, understanding, it read like this. Therefore, therefore, gird up the procreative power of your mind. 
the birthing, creating power of your mind. And whether you understand this or not, your thinking is producing and creating a life for you. That is why it is so essential that you renew your mind according to what God says and not what you feel or think or your past or anything else. So Exodus 14, Moses has been given the task to lead slaves out of Egypt, the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And you got to understand something. These people have been in bondage for 400 years. So you're talking about not just one generation, but it was the father, the grandfather, the great grandfather, the great, great grandfather, the great, great grandfather, and possibly great, 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 great grandfather. So you're talking about people that have never known freedom, never known hope, never known promise, never known a lot of things. All they have known is bondage. And so if I were to To take each one of you and put your heart up in that x-ray. Some of you guys, generationally, you've watched as your parents struggled and your great-grandparents struggled in a particular area. And some of you guys, you give mouth service to freedom, but you're still in bondage in other areas. And the Lord cares too much about you to allow you to stay there. And so can you imagine what a group of people who have never really known freedom must have been thinking on a regular basis? How many know that being, having a slave or a poverty mentality or a bondage mentality does not change overnight? There is a work of process that needs to take place. So there are people here, you struggle in certain areas, you struggle in your thinking, you struggle in your perspectives, you struggle in a number of different things. And Moses was not, even though he was Hebrew, even though he was part of the future nation of Israel, he was not raised as a slave. And so for him, he was a leader. How many know that for the most part, a slave cannot lead a slave to freedom because they think like a slave. And so you have to be able to think differently in order to lead your family differently. If you're going to break the past, if you're going to help your family overcome, then there are some things you're going to have to win before you can lead them correctly. Bondages and strongholds are a series of thoughts that imprison. So long after Israel had left Egypt, they were still thinking like a slave. They were still in bondage. Now, for most of my life, I grew up in conditions and situations much like many people in here. You grew up in a system. You grew up in a family. That family had thoughts. There were experiences. There are things that were part of normal, didn't make it godly, just made it normal. And that's what you kind of grew up in. And so very often there are clues to our thinking that reveal which side we, we, we reflect. So whether we think in bondage or whether we think in freedom. So I'm going to share just a couple of my personal with you today. I would react to situations in an ungodly way rather than act to situations and circumstances as a child of God. I would react because that's the only thing that I knew was to react. I would want to return to what I had always known, even if that meant bondage, even if that meant addiction, even if that meant pain, because it's all I'd ever known. Rather than to press through to what God said about me 
are who he was to me. I would complain rather than pray and expect God to change it or expect God to intervene. Always wanted someone else to go to God for me because how many knows a slave can't go to God. So I would go to routinely somebody at the, at the altar. I'd want somebody to know what is God saying instead of me walking as a child of God into his throne room. I would hang out with others who thought the same way. And I would not inherit or step into the promises because it took work. As a Christian, I had to take ownership of my thoughts, my heart, and my issues, and then I needed to act on truth. It was always easier to make an excuse or revert back to the way I'd always known. But Romans 12, 2 talks about being transformed. And that word transformed in the Latin is renovatu. And it, 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 anybody ever watch the, the, the shows where they rebuild houses? They go in. Don't you love it? Right? But they, like, there's one, and there's all this drama, like, I don't know if we're going to be able to sell it. It's costing so much money. They always make, like, $100,000 profit, right? But there is for, there's, there's this drama. But they'll pull stuff out, and stuff is rotten, or it'll be nasty, or it'll, it, dust is everywhere. There's all this destruction as they're renovating, right? And it's messy. But then all of a sudden, there's the finished product that they saw all along. It's the same way in our lives. It gets messy and it, all this junk starts coming out. Why does God do that? Because he wants to create what has always been part of the plan. Uh, the, the Greek word is metamorpho. And it's where we get our word metamorphosis from. And I love that picture because even though we're here, there's this transformation process that actually you turn into what you always were, were supposed to be. And that's what the, the word that Paul is using here, the metamorphosis. And so if you do not believe you are responsible for your decisions in life, you will make decisions unconcerned about the consequences. And I see a lot of Christians that kind of put it on cruise control. And they just kind of go about life not knowing that the procreative power of their mind is creating the world around them. And if you don't know who you are, you'll allow other people's to make decisions for you. Thank you. That was encouraging. <laughs> so let's put this in context of a job. If you know that you're, there's no way that you're going to move up in the company, you're making minimum wage, maybe you're flipping burgers, nothing wrong with that, but you go, oh, this is just a job to get me through. How many know you're probably going to give just as much as you need to in order to get the job done? Right? All right. I know it's right. Even if you don't respond, I know it's right. Right? So, but if you had an investment, if this was a future franchise that you're going to own, in your mind, you're going to offer your best, you're going to make things better, because that investment's going to come back to you. It's the same way in our Christian walk. If you know that the way that you're thinking, the way that you're growing is going to impact your life, and it's part of God's plan, you're going to live differently. So I grew up with a renter's mentality. We're going to get to that in just a minute. So we all grow up in a predetermined mentality influenced by a particular people's point of view. Sometimes that's family. Maybe that was a state home. Maybe that was an uncle. Maybe that was a grandmother. And the way they saw the world influenced us. We usually gather with the same group. 
And we bristle at anybody else's understanding of the world. We make choices out of these thoughts as well as other circumstances, experiences, hurts, and fears. All impacted us, so to speak, by mentality in which we live. We see the world differently. Can you imagine how difficult it is to stand in front of 50 different nations and get people to come together and understand something? It's incredibly difficult because all of these different perspectives. So something or someone has influenced our perspectives. What we have believed, what they believed, we now believe. Has anybody ever looked back over your life and you recognize a pattern in your family that now you think differently? I pray to God there's more than that. Right? So we look back and we go, man, how wrong was that? Or maybe there were some things that were done right. We view ourselves, others, and the world through these thoughts. And we view God and everything that happens in our life through these thoughts as well. So, Renner's mentality. Uh, I grew up in a home that was dominated by not enough. We struggled financially. Insecurity was a way of life. Knockoffs were a way of life. We thought poor We thought about getting things, things and getting by, but not about investing and building a life. How are we going to survive the moment? My dad's grandparents had dirt floors and I know that's where he came from and that influenced who he was. There were many arguments over money. There was no biblical viewpoint or trust, so fear reigned. So the idea was I had to get a good job so I could have money, so I could have security. How many know that a a good job does not ultimately provide security? Especially if you you dislike what you do. I was always raised in a home dominated by fear. Fear has a tendency to make you think and act in certain ways. This is not a knock on my family. It's just the way that it was. Fearful people tend to believe that everything is outside of their control. The world is always falling apart. There are limited resources and opportunities. They tend to think the worst. God may be part of their life, but he has a small role. He is quickly marginalized by circumstances. For many years, I was always expecting the other shoe to drop. And even now. If Krista would be honest with you, I still struggle. There comes a point in time where God won't let you think this way anymore. He demands change and he'll bring you into a situation where there is no escape. Because he can't allow you to be a prisoner or in bondage any longer. He's got to get truth to you. And so uh, another way we thought was what else bad is going to happen? My people were the fearful people. We spoke about how, how bad everything was, how unfair. I found that I gloried in my struggling. I identified with people who struggled, who didn't have much or come from much. And, and this only continued the wrong mentality. And then I met my wife. And the Bible says when you meet a wife, you find a good thing, right? And so here I was coming from where I came from. The wrong perspective, the wrong identity, the, wa- the wrong way of looking at things. And I met someone who knew God. 
knew their identity. And so I've told the Chick-fil-A stories many times, but you've got to understand this, this was a change for me. So she wants to go to a class. Uh, she loves Chick-fil-A, as you know, and, and she, she can't find the restaurant. And she, she asks somebody and they gave her directions and she said, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I know it's right around here somewhere. And she prays and she said, Lord, you know, I love Chick-fil-A. Will you please help me? And the next commercial that came on the radio was a Chick-fil-A commercial giving directions. (laughs) Truth. It blew my mind because not only did God respond, but she expected him to show her. I remember, like, even now, I hate taking my car in. I drive a 98 Toyota Corolla, so you can imagine it has issues. And I hate taking my car in because I know there's going to be stuff that has to be fixed. And and I, I work hard, and I really try to save money. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, I'm afraid that I'm going to have to spend a bunch of money. And she's like, get it fixed. I don't care how much it costs, get it fixed. And I'm going, but I've saved the money, right? And she would get mad at me and I would get mad at her because she's like, get the car fixed. $10,000, get the car fixed. I don't have $10,000. I don't care. Get the car fixed for her. God supplies for me. I'm a slave. And so this process of learning to change the way that I thought. I remember when I, I had lost a couple of jobs. Um, the kids were young. We didn't have any money. And uh, we had to go down and get food stamps and go through that process of unemployment and things like that. And for her, she was mad. Why? Not because of food stamps and not because of unemployment. But she said, this is not who I am. God is my provider. We will not stay here long. This is not what I am born for. But my mentality was, this is who I am. And there was this huge shift that had to take place in my life. So in this room, we have a thousand different stories represented by tens of thousands of different experiences and a million different thoughts. How in the world do we even begin to bridge the gap between us and God and us and each other and us and what the word says, really, it's, it's pretty complex. And I always come back to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I have several, but this is, I always thought this was brilliant. It's Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen. It says, as in water, face reflects face. So a man's heart reveals the man. And let me tell you what I think about when I read this. You know, when they came out of Egypt, God set up this process of a sacrifice because there has to be a sacrifice for sin. And God was pointing to the need of Jesus because animal sacrifices don't work. They don't cover, they're they're accepted, but they don't cover sin. And so the the high priest would have to, there was an outer court, an inner court, and then the Holy of Holies. And on the outer court, there would be the sacrifice. So it was bloody. There were animals that were sacrificed. And then he would come to this next area. And it was called the laver. And it was bronze. And it was a mirror. And so 
in my mind, I know that when he went to wash his hands, he had to look at the mirror. And he had to look at who he was as he looked in. And this is what this scripture represents to me. As in face, as in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. God will make you look at yourself. We tend to focus on other people and circumstances, but God, when he wants to get to the truth, he'll ask you, who are you? Jacob, when he was wrestling with the Lord, wanted to be blessed, he had lived for all his life as a deceiver. And God asked him the question, tell me who you are. I'm a deceiver. No, you're not. You're Israel. I'm changing your name. And so in this season, as a church, we have to ask ourselves, who are we really? Who are we listening to? And so there are people in here, you struggle as in, in bondage or slavery, in thoughts, you, you struggle with people, you're afraid of people, or maybe where you, come, you, you came from, maybe it's an addiction or sin, maybe it's pain, maybe it's regret, maybe it's fear, everything. There was a time where I believed I could outrun my past, but you can't. You need to deal with it. God heard the cry of Israel in bondage. He saw their affliction. He heard their sighing. And God moved a man to lead them. And all along, God said, I'm going to bring this people out, but I'm bringing them to me. Not just to a promise. So many of us, we think, man, if I could get into a relationship, or if I could get that job, or if I could get to a a, a people, it's always about going through God first. Because the, the, the place will never satisfy what's on the inside of you. Other people here, you, you really struggle the way you see yourself. Unworthy of love or forgiveness or hope for any number of reasons. Your identity is tied up in someone, what someone else said. Or maybe what they did to you or, or whatever. Or maybe it was a, a failure, whatever it is. Uh, I came across a, a poem I have a great passion to help people discover their purpose because for so many years, I didn't believe I had one. And I came across this line and it said, ask me whether the life that I have lived is mine. And I'm going to tell you why that spoke to me because I see a lot of Christians that are living a life that somebody else has ordained for them, but not God. Our pain has ordained for them. Our regret has ordained. Our addiction has ordained for them. And as, as a pastor and just as a person, I don't want you to stay there. Because there is a life that God has for you. So are you living according to what God has said or something else has said? There are times when God will give us the gift of no options. It has happened several times in my life. Where I just Basically, you know, people have called it the dark night of the soul. People are, say that it's coming to the end of yourself. But God will give you the gift of no options. So sometimes God wants you to deal with an issue or a situation that he's given a long time to, to prepare you for the moment. You come from a generation of, maybe it's alcoholics. Maybe it's people who are angry. We're just angry. Every nationality is angry. Right? Well, I'm, I'm Cubano, my wife. I'm angry. I'm Irish. I'm angry. Everybody's angry. Right? And then God goes, but you're not angry anymore. I can't let you. It's too destructive. 
And he brings you to a place where you have to deal with it. God in his grace will bring you to something that must be dealt with. But you have to surrender to the way he wants to do it. Because he has called you to him. Not to what you want to be. Not to where you want to go. He wants you to go through him. And so Moses is leading Egypt. And he's got two million people that he's leading out. And they look and they see what they left coming after him again. But they look in front of them and there's the Red Sea and it's blocked. And they're trapped. And God will bring you to a place where you're trapped. And it is not because he's angry. It is not because he's frustrated. It is in his mercy that he brings you to a place where you surrender. Because there there comes a a point in time where you just can't outrun stuff anymore. I had a word for somebody in this youth convention that we had and I was standing over here and it was a pastor's wife and I saw her and she was knelt down at the altar and in my mind I saw the, the Red Sea crashing over the Egyptian army that was chasing Israel and I just walked up and I told her I said I feel like the Lord is telling you that your past has been covered the enemy what you've been running from is, is covered. And she said, you, do, you don't understand. I just prayed. They just took over a new pastorate. And the, the, the pastoral, uh, when they were pastoring a church prior to this, it had been so bad that she literally said, I can't do this. I can't handle what we've gone through again. And God was saying, I have covered the enemy in your past. Some of you guys need to know that. Some of you guys need to know that God has not abandoned you. He's not frustrated by you, but he's bringing you to a place of surrender. And there is no other way around it. You can go back and be a slave, but God's not called you to that. My daughter had a sickness and I've I've talked about it, but when you go through something for a long time, it marks you. Remember for about a year and a half, Brianna would get fevers and she would throw up. And, uh, and then it would trigger her asthma. And so my wife would stay up all night giving her uh, breathing treatments. And it was e- exhausting and it was frustrating. And it, I questioned my faith and I questioned my daughter. I questioned everything. I, w- I was really at the end of, uh, end of me. And she would have to take a medication, a steroid. And, you know, long term, that's just not good for you. And that kind of handled the situation, but it didn't solve the situation. And I remember we would pray and we would pray and we would pray. And then one night, Brianna went downstairs and a guy named Jeff Kaiser was speaking. And Jeff has a healing anointing. And he was, there was a a line uh, waiting to be prayed for. And so we waited for 45 minutes. She was about nine or 10. I can't remember how old she was now. We waited in line for 45 minutes for prayer. And when he prayed for her, she fell back and fell down. Experienced the power of God. And he stepped over her and said, I cancel the assignment of the enemy against you. And she never got sick again. And that's great. But can I tell you, I have a 13-year-old that believes in the power of God. 
And she looks forward to the time where she gets to pray for people, expecting them to experience the power of God. You can never steal it from her again. She believes in healing. Why? Because we came to the end of the situation that was bigger than us and God showed up. So there are some things that God wants to deal with. And there are some things that he's going to cut you off in order to cut out of you what you've been dealing with. Let's go to verse 22 and we'll close. I think this is uh, Exodus 15. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah. For they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you, of which... I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord God who heals you. That tree represents the cross of Jesus Christ. Some of you guys, you have bitterness, and you're bitter in your soul, you're bitter in an area of your life, and God wants to bring healing to you. You know your bitterness affects everybody around you. It defiles many, the Bible says. The cross is the focal point of all life. God could have done a lot of things to deal with man's sin. But he chose to send his son one time to die. The perfect death. The perfect sacrifice. And God's death on the cross is an exclamation point to a sinful world. But the other side of that is the resurrection is the comma. Because there is life to be found outside of what has happened or what's been done or what's been said or who you've been. And that's the promise that God can resurrect and give you life in the areas that you thought were long dead and gone. And the enemy wants to stop you from running from an enemy or a situation so that you can receive healing. As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. God demands that you look at your own life. And the light is scripture, not society, not government, not even each other. Put it in the light, your life, your heart. And you ask God, what are the areas that you need access to? I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. My hope is in Christ Jesus. My hope is in Christ Jesus. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come forward. If you need prayer for healing, if you need prayer, if there is something that you need to confess, if you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, this is the time. I'm going to ask our prayer team, our altar team to come forward at this time. Father, thank you for the men and women in this room. And God, you know every heart. You know how complicated it is. You know every life uh, and the, the, the road that they have traveled. You know the experiences. You know the pain. You know the frustrations. You know the bondages, God, that you want to break. I pray, God, that this morning would be a new place. That, God, the, the enemy that's been chasing them, the past that's been chasing them, the lies that they have believed would be broken off this morning and covered 
by what Christ has done. And I pray victory over the people in this church. Holy Spirit, do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. If you know that you need prayer this morning and God has spoken to your heart, I'm going to ask you to come forward at this time. Allow God to minister to you and bring healing to your life. God bless you guys. Have a great day.